will be today. Exiles, heroes, and examples, it's what we've been talking about in the last couple weeks as we've gone through uh, the story of Daniel. We're looking at his life. He is one of really kind of the few people in Scripture uh, that's not Jesus, that their life just looks really, really impeccable. Like his character was unbelievable. It was unbelievable young, and it was unbelievable old. Uh, He lived in secular kingdoms, and yet from what we read, never sacrificed his testimony. Never bent on his convictions. And so you and I, as we travel through this book, we're going to see him. We're going to see his friends. We're going to watch them interact with the secular world. We're going to do all these things. But I want you to understand that there is a lot to think about in the day and age that we're living in too as we go through this. So where have we been? The biggest thing I want you to understand, and the reason why I keep going over this, is this is a mercy. It is a discipline, or or it is a, a discipline that we need to love Hard times bend you and I back into the will of God. Hard times, times that don't uh, just flow easy, they they bring us to our breaking point and they should fold us back into the care and the love, repentance, relationship, uh, faithfulness, leaning on the God of the universe that has a relationship with us. So often you and I see the hardest moments in life as a curse. What's the first question we ask ourselves? What did I do wrong? (laughs) What did I do wrong to have to go through this? Sometimes the answer is something. Something small, a string of somethings. Sometimes the answer is absolutely nothing. God knew what your character needed, and because of that, He has allowed something to happen that at the end of it is going to make you stronger, more sturdy, more reliable, more faithful, more helpful. Sometimes one of the hardest things to tell somebody in Christian life as a pastor when they're they're asking these questions, one of the hardest things to tell people is simply this. You may only be going through this trial because 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, somebody's going to be hanging on to the last thread of their life and you're going to be the person that God puts in their path to help them. You say, that doesn't sound fair. Listen, that sounds to me like a God that pays attention to the details. The details. And each individual matters. So we're watching that in the story of the nation of Israel. Hard times, discipline, the end of self-sufficiency bring us back into alignment with God. For Daniel and the Christians today, these times are delivered under the sovereign hand of a good and loving God. We talked last week about the spoils of war, land, stuff, and people. I told you Nebuchadnezzar doesn't want to take over a land. He wants to build a kingdom. So what does he do? He brings these exiles into his kingdom, the cream of the crop he brings in, and he wants to make them Babylonian. How does that come about? Well, in chapter 1, he changes their names. And I want to show you these again because I want you to understand the last line of this slide is this. The rest of the book is God living up to their Jewish names. I want to show it to you even today. God living up to their Jewish names. God is my judge, Daniel. Hananiah, Yah protects. Mishael, who is like the mighty one. And Azariah, Yah will help. Today, you and I will see God answer all four of those in the rest of this chapter. He's going to show who he is. And he's going to do it through Daniel. Chapter 2, what did we talk about last week? Well, there are worldly and wise people out there. 
We have to use the quotation. Why? Because their wisdom runs out real fast. And what are they going to do in life? They're going to play it safe. You and I should not be surprised that worldly people play it safe and go with the flow. High school, college, middle school, doesn't matter. At work, we should not be surprised that all of these people are willfully floating down streams of thought, streams of life, streams of debt, streams of other things that just look so crazy to us at times. It should not surprise us. The things that they have hope in, the things that they believe in are all worldly. They have no second tier of joy or peace or strength or hope to pull from. It's all right now and it's all what the world has to offer. So is it any wonder that they're going to float down and just try to get by? Is it any wonder why they're going to act like the world at school so they don't take a little bit of a beating? Or they're going to act like the world in college so that their professor doesn't call them out or maybe grade them more harshly? Or they're going to act like the world at work? Why? And they're just going to go with the flow. Why? Because it's easier to do that than it is to stand up and have some backbone. You might get fired. You might get ostracized. Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. They're going to play it safe. But they're also, for us, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, how we interact with the world, they're also going to be pushed pushed past their limitations. The wise men in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom are pushed past their limits immediately. Nebuchadnezzar says, uh, you're going to tell me my dream, and then you're going to give me the interpretation. Right? To which they respond with, right? Uh, that's, That's unreasonable. Absolutely it is. But this dude is serious. Right? He comes across with this crazy offer. I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams or I'm going to kill you and your family. That is the deal. As you can see, they're going to be pushed past their limits. The world is pushed past its limits. They're going to play the odds. They're going to ask again. They're going to ask again. They're going to hedge their bets. They're going to try to maneuver through what's there. They're not going to dig their heels in and stand firm. We should not be surprised by these things. And ultimately, for worldly people, this is the part that you and I are stepping in and trying to bridge that gap. They're going to pay a price. They're going to pay a price in this life, living and doing things that are ungodly. They're going to be, they're going to harm themselves, their family. They're going to harm their kids, their community. And ultimately, if they die without knowing the Lord, they're going to pay that price. And that is something you and I are standing in that gap and we're forcefully holding back as hard as we can out of love. Not because we want to be jerks or nasty or anything else. It's because where this road ends is disaster. We talked in Sunday school this morning just a couple minutes there, but like if my children come in at the age uh, that they're making their own decisions and they're living an ungodly lifestyle, it's not loving for me to pat them on their back and say it's going to be okay. What's loving is I dig my heels in and push back as forcefully as possible, mentally, verbally, with how I love them, how I speak truth, how I push back, how I make sure I don't make it easier for them to do these horrible things. All of these things matter because ultimately they're going to pay a price. And our job as the church is to try to keep that from happening. We're just trying to keep that like what God says he's going to bless, he'll bless. What God says he's going to curse, he'll curse. We see this in, in, in the time of Daniel. These worldly people, they're at their wits' end. They've been handed something they cannot do anything with, and now they're stuck. They're going to pay a price. But the godly and the wise are what? They're always God's rescue plan. 
God has always taken the righteous and the godly and made them the rescue plan. You are the plan to be helpful. You are the plan to lead people to salvation. You are the plan to be a part of that process. We don't get any of the glory for it, absolutely, but God has placed us here to be a part of that. And that is more wonderful than you and I can even understand. Lord, do you want to use us to do this? Yes. Daniel is that righteous rescuer. Daniel's plan is what? He's going to ask for something. He's going to generate some partners with his friends, and then he's going to go to prayer. And what is God going to do? We're going to see that today. Daniel chapter 2, verse 25 is where we'll start. We'll read a couple verses from last week, and then we'll go into the rest of it. So there's some continuity. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, uh, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven. Man, underline that, circle that. When you're in the middle of your hardest moment, you need to remember that. But there is a God in heaven. And what does this God do? He does miracles. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind." Verses 25 to 30. Can you see why Daniel's life is so protected? Why is it so protected? Because he is so humble. It's not me, king. Like even saying that statement out loud, he's brought in, right, under threat of punishment of death. The king is antsy, he's frustrated, he's had this dream, no one can tell him what it is, so therefore that he knows they can't give him the interpretation, and he is left in his mess. This king is angry, he is frustrated, he's scared. We're going to see that in a minute. The dream actually gives him terror. And so Daniel steps in in the first sentence, and he's brought in, and he's lifted real high, right? Arioch says, man, I found somebody, he's going to do what you ask, king. And Daniel's first sentence is, uh, well, I mean, no, nobody can do that. Right? Let down. I bet he didn't take a real long pause, though, between that sentence and the next one. Nobody can do that, King. Arioch is foolish. I, I never said that. Right? Nope. Nobody can do that. Nobody can ask for what you want. Nobody in history can do what you've asked them to do. But there is a God in heaven. Daniel, in reliance of God's sovereignty and in dedication to his moral obligation to him, to God, steps forward as a Jesus figure in Babylonian history. What do I mean by that? The righteous steps in and the unrighteous get to live. He is a picture of Jesus to come. The righteous man steps in. He steps in the gap. For all of those behind him that probably hate him, that probably despise him, they're probably jealous of him and the other three. Remember, they're ten times better than all of them, and you better believe they know it. 
So they're jealous, they're angry, they don't serve his God, they don't see his dedication, they probably hate him, and yet Daniel is going to step in and intervene. He's going to intercede for these people. He is going to be the one, the righteous one that allows them to live. It's an amazing moment in history. And what's so amazing about it is it looks very, very Christ-like. He steps in. God is going to use him to save these people. There are two glorious things that happen immediately. Number one, God answers Nebuchadnezzar's prayers. And number two, God gets the glory by using Daniel to set him apart from all the other gods, all the other idols, all the other magicians and the enchanters and the sorcerers and all of these other people that have a limited amount of supernatural power. I told you last week, you can't, you can't talk about some of these stories in Scripture without sounding insane to our modern culture, but some of these people had more power than the typical human being. They were special. They had tapped into the other side. They had tapped into the enemy's kingdom. And so because of that, they were brought in, and yet Daniel is going to be the one that saves their lives. Verse 31. You saw, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. Every unknown can be frightening. Is this going to be a good story for the king, or is this going to be a bad story? If you're Nebuchadnezzar, this one comes off pretty good. Now, the next dream he has, not so much. We'll get there in a couple weeks. But this one, this one's pretty sweet. But the unknown has him frightened. What is coming is, is good for him, but it is frightening. Friends, there is so much to the idea of faith that can go into this. Whether your uh, future is blessed or there are hard things coming, the unknown of what's around the corner, if you and I aren't living in relationship with the Lord, is frightening to deal with. If you're 21 right now, if God gave you a glimpse of who you were at 61, it would terrify you. I'm going to have to go through that, that, and that. Like for me, it would be, I'm out of five kids. What? Really? We're moving back to West Virginia? Really? Feels odd, Lord. Like it would frighten us. But there's so much faith in you and I getting up in the morning and just doing the things we're called to do, knowing that God has his eye on 30 years from now. God has his eye on the day you come home to heaven. He's got it. You and I just need to get up on Sunday morning and do the things we're required to do, told to do, expected to do. We need to get up on Monday morning and go to work. Go to that job that God has blessed you with that's paying the bills. Love on that person God has given you. Love on those children God has given you. Breathe in the air. Walk outside if it's not pouring the rain and right trees falling everywhere. Just breathe it in, man, what the Lord has given. And then get back inside because it's going to rain in 13 seconds. Every unknown can be frightening. This story is going to be a magnificent blessing when Nebuchadnezzar hears it. Like, what? Right. But until there's an answer, it's terrifying. Listen, the faith that you and I have is what keeps the terror at bay. You don't have to be fearful for the phone calls tomorrow. You don't have to be fearful of the phone calls 30 years from now. You and I need to be faithful with what you have right here. 
the next five minutes, the next 10 minutes, make the decisions that are faithful to what the Lord has called you to do. Elevated or degraded, heroic or halfway, the road ahead is a mystery, and that is a blessing to us because if God showed it to us, it would floor us. Good or bad, wouldn't matter. Just the sight of some of us at the age of 21, seeing us at 61 with all this gray hair, right, or no hair, right, it would freak us out a little bit. Like, well, let me get to phase two. Hang on. Right? This is a blessing. This mystery in life is a blessing. Why? It's only a blessing because we go to God that controls it all. Look at verse 32 with me. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Verse 35, then the iron and clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The reveal, what happens? Daniel was telling him, this was your dream. This is what you've seen. He's going to lay it out for him. Can you imagine the surprise in that moment when Nebuchadnezzar was like, okay, <laughs> phase one, step one. I didn't think, do you really think Nebuchadnezzar thought he was going to tell him his dream? I figured Nebuchadnezzar was ready just to kill this dude and then to get on with the rest of it and bring in some new wise people. But instead, what happens? Daniel gives him, God gives Daniel what Daniel is to deliver. A layered statue and its destruction. A heavenly stone that fills the earth in its place. This is the reveal. This is the dream. Look at verse 36 with me and keep going. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. Ooh, baby. Who's the we? Who's the we? Who's working with Daniel? Who's giving him insight? Who's telling him what's going on? And why in the world does Daniel, a righteous man, get to say we? Because God is using him to be a part of this moment. Why in the world is God using you and I to build his church? Why can we say that we are building God's church? We are helping build the kingdom of God. Why can we say that? Because the God of the universe is using you and he's using me to do something miraculous. To bring dead people back to life. We are a part of that. Daniel's already given credit to God. He's already told that Nebuchadnezzar that he has, he has not the power within him to do what was asked. He's already told him, but now he is fully engaged in the mission. I am not worthy. I am not able. God is good. And we are going to tell you the interpretation. That fascinates me. That is a glorious truth in today's age. So much more than self-esteem. So much more than who you are or what you can become or living your own truth. So much more than all of that hogwash that our culture is throwing out on people is simply this. You are the temple of the God of the universe. And not only does he love you, but he wants to use you to be on mission for him. 
How do you deal with, with all the brokenness of the idea of self-esteem in our culture? You put people back into a biblical worldview. You are a mess. God loves you. He can make you better. You're going to come to the end of your, your limitations. You're going to come to the end of your resources. But there is more in him, and he wants to use you to do amazing things. I'm not okay. You are exactly right. You are not okay, but you can be made like Jesus, strong and sturdy, healed, whole. Self-esteem doesn't get you there. The gospel does. It's a layered statue. Verses 36 to 45, the interpretation. Five kingdoms, right? Decreasing in value. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, verse 37 and 38, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them. You are the head of gold. Whew. Right? Nebuchadnezzar has just been told, God has given you the world. Wherever there are people, birds, animals, they reside under your care. You are the head of gold. What an amazing prophecy. Especially considering that Nebuchadnezzar has just come out of, he is, has found his limitation, like he is a king with limits. Five kingdoms decreasing in value. Keep reading with me. Verse 39. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw, the feet and the toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. Verse 43, as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in what? If you want to write America beside that, if you want a picture of why we are such a mess right now, I want you to see that we are married, we are unequally yoked in a country of people that don't agree on foundational things, don't agree on overarching things. And what happens to societies like that? They cannot mix and they are destroyed. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked. What happens in your relationship if you choose willfully at 19 to marry somebody that doesn't love the Lord? What happens if you choose it at 29? What happens if you choose a business partner that doesn't share your values? The Bible says not to be unequally yoked, and it means it. You and I cannot bind around the most important things in life with people that don't agree with or believe like we do. Find a marriage where two people have two different religions and both of them are serious about it and tell me how miserable that gets. Even different denominations would be hard to deal with, much less totally different religions. The Bible says not to be unequally yoked. When we see this picture in Scripture, what do we see? Partly iron, partly clay, married together and broken. 
destroyed. As our country gets further and further outside or away from each other in foundational things, we will find ourselves closer and closer to this kind of destruction. It is a punishment, it is discipline, it is all of those things, and it is coming under the hand of a sovereign God. So we need to understand what is happening. This is a picture of it. Look at verse 44. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever, verse 45, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Five kingdoms decreasing in value and perceived glory. Gold, silver, bronze, right? Iron, iron and clay. Five kingdoms. And then stone. Not cut by any human hand. Lands. Wouldn't it be gold? Wouldn't it be silver? Nope. God uses earthy things. He actually refers to himself on repeat, right? Five kingdoms increasing in stature, strength, longevity, and expanse. The Roman kingdom was really big, but it was really fragile, and it didn't last very long. The kingdom of God will fill the entire earth. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay blown away. But a heavenly stone is going to come, and it's going to grow. And guess what? It's growing right now. It's growing today. It's going to grow until the Lord is finished doing His will, creating His kingdom. The stone hit the Roman Empire through the person of who? Through the God-man of who? Jesus Christ. He broke the world's systems then. And ever since then, His kingdom has been growing and growing and growing. For 2,000 years, no other Uh, No other dictator, no other tyrant, no other kingdom could stop the growth of the kingdom of God. And actually, if you go back and read, the places that tried the hardest to break it and to stop it ended up creating fire after fire after fire. Lit off of the backs of some of the people you and I would consider spiritually parents. heavenly stone is still growing today so what's really valuable i love that i love that little piece i'm going to give it to you what's really valuable to look at all those kingdoms you say man the gold is the one you want to be i mean you can at least make stuff out of clay but a rock that you have no control over that's the kingdom you want to be involved in that's the earthy thing that the, the Lord is using. That's the picture that he gives for us. Why? Nebuchadnezzar is the head of gold, the glory of the king, but he is limited. He is defined. He is short term. He is of prominence and then he is gone. But Christ is the everlasting rock. Isaiah 26, I believe it's 26.4. He is the tested and precious cornerstone. Isaiah 28, 1 Peter 2. He is a a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, Romans chapter 9. He is the foundation, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The rock perfect and just, Deuteronomy 32. And the rock we fall upon and the rock that falls on and crushes, Matthew 21. That passage always floors me. 
Anybody that falls on this rock, right, is going to be crushed. What happens at the moment of salvation? You and I are crushed and rebuilt. But anyone this stone falls on will be gone forever. What's the cry? What's the hope to fall on this rock now? To fall against the rock of ages. Look at verse 26 with me. The king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Verse 48. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request to the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Daniel's favor is a blessing to many. Friends, I want to challenge you this morning. This has got to be your testimony in life. Daniel's favor, the favor poured out on Daniel's life is a blessing to everybody. Is it so for you? Do we find ourselves being a blessing that what God has given to us, we are able to be a part of him blessing other people? What happens first? God shows favor to Daniel. That's what happens first. And then Daniel intercedes and protects. That's the whole first part of chapter 2. God shows favor to Daniel. He shows favor early on when he's asked not to eat, when he's asking not to eat the king's delicacies. He shows favor again when God is going to let him know the dream, when he gives him the gumption and the courage to stand up and push back against this culture. God shows favor then. And then what does Daniel do with that favor? He doesn't offload all the other wicked people. He intercedes for them, and he protects their life. If Daniel had went to the king and said, I'll do what you ask, but you're going you're gonna to finish up with the rest of these people. Didn't do that, didn't say that. Nowhere in Scripture does it, does it operate that way. He intercedes, and he protects all of them. That's part of the favor that's been poured out on our life. We need to intercede and protect other people, intercede for them in prayer, intercede for them in hard conversations, in accountability, in love intercede for them so they don't make a mess protect them from even their own decisions what happens next nebuchadnezzar blesses daniel and what does daniel do he brings with him he intercedes again and he promotes his three friends daniel is a good friend to have every blessing he gets is poured out on other people are we like that Is that the testimony of our life? Does the Lord favor us and does it spill over into our home, our church, our community, our job? It should. At a bare minimum, when people see you coming, they should see peace and comfort and help when needed. They may not like where you stand on a bunch of different things, but when life is hard and you are there, they like that. That should be our testimony. Everywhere we go, everywhere Daniel goes, other people are lifted and blessed because he is there. The pattern is godly and glorious. Daniel's character is content in serving a sovereign God no matter the circumstances. His devotion blesses everyone his platform touches. And in faithfulness to the kingdom, he brings glory to God and life to the world. Daniel gives life to the world. That's the same commission you and I have been put on. You can breathe it when you speak. When you minister, you can watch God do it. You and I are required to bring life 
Salt and light is what Jesus calls us to be. Salt preserves life. Light gives it. If there's no light, there's no life. It's all cold, dark, and done. You and I are called to give life. Daniel gives that testimony over and over and over. So as they come this morning to play, I want you to think about that, but I want to give you one more piece, and I want to go back to the mystery of the future. I want to go back because I want to show you something because these two things have got to be related. Why is the mystery of the future a blessing? Look at chapter 3, the very next verse. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits. Now, I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar had the idea to make a statue of himself or if the vision of the future created an opportunity for him to think, man, that is a good idea. God did not command him to do this, right? But God gives him the vision of what is going on, what is going to happen. So what is his very next move? Nebuchadnezzar forces forces the end of what he has seen in a way that God never intended. Why is the mystery of the future a blessing? Because if you and I knew too much, we would tinker. We would tinker. We would take, we would manipulate, we would maneuver. It wasn't enough for Nebuchadnezzar to be seen figuratively as the head of gold. He wanted to create, literally, Something for people to bow down to. Listen, friends, Daniel 3 1, Nebuchadnezzar builds that idol of gold. In my faith, if my faith, my discipline, and my maturity don't match the intensity of what God has revealed, I'll cheat. I'll miss points to have my character uh, pushed and, and grinded against and made better, or I'll pragmatically navigate to force what he promises. Why is it a mystery, the future? Because God loves you and he wants you living right now. Giving you a picture of what was coming, giving you too much of it. You and I would break that. We would mess that up. We would manipulate that. We would try to force it. But you and I right now, not knowing what tomorrow holds, gives us an opportunity to live in faith, knowing that God has blessings for us as we go. And ultimately what happens is it removes the faith in his daily care and makes me long for that moment instead of this one. What's one of the most frustrating things about knowing too much of what's to come is you wish your life away getting there. Can't wait to be 18? Stop. It ain't that great. Can't wait to be 21? It ain't that great either. Right? Can't wait to be 25? It ain't that great. Can't wait to be married. That's pretty awesome, but don't rush it. You'll make a mess, right? Can't wait to retire. Are you a fool? What are you going to do with the strength of your youth? What are you going to do with the 30, 35 years you have to work? We look so far ahead, we lose the faith of what's right now. It is such a blessing that God makes you and I live daily. That we can only plan so far out and then the wisdom shows up that, man, you don't even know what you're doing. You're going to build these barns, but tomorrow God is going to call you home and all you're going to wonder here, all you're going to want to hear right then is well done. You and I need to understand there are blessings in how God operates. One of them is he doesn't give us a whole lot of information on the future. 
We don't know what tomorrow's going to hold. We don't know what November's going to hold. We don't know what next year's going to hold. You and I have to live in the moment, and we have to want it more than we want anything else. We want to be faithful in it. Daniel was faithful in the moments that he had. He wasn't looking three kingdoms from now when he is still in charge. He wasn't looking at a moment when he was standing in the king's court. He wasn't looking at a moment when he was ten times better than all the other wise men. He was looking at the moment right in front of him and being faithful to the commands that he knew God had called him to yield to. That was it. Every day after that is just living by faith. Such a blessing that God doesn't give us too much information because you and I, we could spoil just like Nebuchadnezzar did. We could spoil the picture God had given him. Why? By going ahead and just building it. I'm just going to do it right now. That's an awesome idea. Lord, thank you. Build me a monument. 90 feet out of gold. Going to get him in trouble again. Going to get his people hurt again. That story is next. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're struggling with the 